It's our projections episode. Tonight, we'll talk to Fangraph's own Dan Zimborski about what goes into projections, including his own Zimborski projection system called Zips. Plus, we'll do our deep dives of ATC undervalued corner infielders. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Northeast is getting about to be hit by a strong nor'easter. It might get about 12 to 16 inches here out on Long Island. Are you going to get anything where you, where you are, Ruven? I'm supposed to get a little bit, but I think the people who were hit the most by this was... Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not getting into the Hall of Fame. Oh boy, oh that's another story. They were hit. They were hit by a snowstorm and they got knocked out. Yeah, but congratulations to David Ortiz who uh, who made it. Uh, one of the few DHs, pure DHs, elected into the Hall of Fame. I was a big proponent of Edgar Martinez getting into the Hall, and I thought that uh, I, I think he's a lot better than David Ortiz. So uh, hey, one got in, and so did the other. So there you go. All right. Well, today we've got a great show. It's our projections episode and corner infield episode here. And well, we're bringing on a projections guru. He writes for Fangraphs, and he is the creator of the Zips projection system. A warm beat the shift welcome to Dan Zimborski. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing lovely today. Doing great. And, and where are you located, by the way? I am from Baltimore, but I live in Ohio, so I am safe from the cyclone bomb. <laughs> there you go. The cyclone bomb, that's a great name for it. There you go. But That's what they call it. These You have to categorize winter storms now like they're weaponry. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that is fun. It's, it's not only good, but it's fun. That's the uh, important part of weather forecasting system. Um, hey, before we start, I got to ask, Zips, um, I hope you do know how to spell your last name because the Zimborski projection system Starts with a Z, but your name starts with an S. What's going on there, Dan? Well, I thought that sip sounded like a juice box. That sounds like the explanation <laughs> of a crazy person, but I assure you it's accurate. It's like <laughs> sips. Like, what are we sipping? Uh, Z is naturally a cooler letter, and it's the letter that I p- pronounce in my last name. So I liked zips better, even if it sounds like a shoe. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. I, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, before we talk about your uh, specific projection system, maybe you, you could could you tell the audience here what in general goes into creating a projection system? Well, there's a lot of research. That's one of the. It's it's a lot more work than genius at this point. But essentially, on a fundamental level, projection systems are fairly simple. You're basically trying to use the data to to pinpoint where a player is, and then you have some kind of method for detecting where they're going. Uh, it's the same as projecting a winter storm in a way. You need to know where all the low-pressure systems are and where they're going, and you can do that in simple ways like Marcel the monkey does, or you can do it in needlessly complex ways like I tend to do. Yeah. Um you definitely hit the nail on the head there. Um, I, I do insurance modeling. I model, believe it or not, uh, hurricanes and earthquakes. 
um, because it's insurance. The impact is on what are we going to lose insurance-wise, right? How are the insured homes affected? And to do that, you have your contracts, and you first have to get a weather model and flow that through and simulate if there's a certain amount of damage to your home, what the cost is to the people, and then what the cost is on what's insured to the company. So I guess it's, it's similar. Uh, all these projection models are similar in that regard. Yeah, I was a math major, so in another in another alternate universe, if if the if the multiverse theory is correct, I'm sure there are a lot of Dan Zaborskis out there who are actuaries and didn't accidentally fall into a baseball career uh, because that was kind of a weird series of events. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, I got a question though. How does Zips set it up, set itself apart from the rest of the other projection systems that are out there? Well, that's always kind of a tricky question because I know exactly how Zips works, but I don't know every little aspect of Steamer or Pakoda or the Bat. So it's always hard to tell exactly what I'm doing differently than them. So, so it might not even be accurate. I could have some misconceptions. Uh, I think it's what makes it different is possibly the way I find cohorts of similar players. Uh, baseball perspectives goes more the machine learning route. I do kind of more normal uh, cluster analysis techniques. I like things like um, the Holonovus distance. Uh, I like I like models that I can dissect the variables because I don't just want the result. I want to see how the result comes about. Uh, and with machine learning, sometimes it's a little tricky. Uh, I like to... I'm not just trying to project players. I also want the knowledge that's generated from projecting the players. Uh that's just the approach I take, but it could be that Steamer is now doing exactly what I do, uh, but I don't really know that. Ask yeah. Jared. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, every projection system is going to have different elements. All projection systems do three basic things, right? They regress to the mean, they have some kind of agent curves, and they take history and they weight it with more credit given to the more current years. But in terms of do they look at some stat cast data? Do they use X stats to fill in some stats instead? Uh, that kind of stuff is what differentiates people. I know Derek Hardy actually incorporates weather. Like he, he incorporates the fact that in Colorado you could have a rain out, you could have a snow out in, in April and the you know the, the ball travels differently in the cold than in than in the heat. So he's projecting different things for for Colorado and Los Angeles and New York. Um, he even takes into account the umpires. Um, if Angel Hernandez is umping, the strike is going to be a little bit wider, the strike zone, that is. Um, so, you know, every everything, every uh, projection system does something a little bit different. What do you have in yours that is just that you might think is completely, completely bonkers compared to the others? I shouldn't say bonkers, completely uh, revolutionary, maybe. I don't know. Revolutions is a difficult thing. Only a few people are revolutionary. Uh, I do use kind of an X stats model, but it's Z stats because I use I like to construct everything I use myself. Uh, maybe that's a little over paranoid, but I like I'm a very careful, uh, uh, very rigorous about making sure new things work so that I don't break old things. So I do use stat cast data, but I implement Z stats differently. Uh, for instance, you look at their uh, batting average of balls in play model. They don't have uh, the, the direction of like a ground ball when evaluating what should be a hit and what shouldn't be. I do. Uh, and these are ways that the things differ. Uh, a lot of you can a lot of these uh, peripheral Z stats, X stats are kind of in a way uh, some of regression uh, instead of using just a generalized regression model. Uh, and the idea is just kind of to be a little more accurate with that. 
Uh, I also think that I probably project longer and more more, more long term than most projection systems are, except Pakoda. Um, you tend to see projection systems focus on the next year. Uh, I haven't really had a huge focus on the next year for some time, simply because we're pretty good at this point at projecting the next year. Uh, and I do things that try to translate things that aren't inherently statistical into uh, numbers. For example, my uh, long-term model for playing time includes things like a player's contract, uh, the number of years he's been with a team, in an effort to just kind of get a more realistic decline curve as we as we go forth in a player's career because that's what every player has in common. Decline is coming, age is coming, because time always wins. Uh, I probably have a larger database of comparable players simply because I have minor league translations now going back into the early 50s. Uh, so I think those are probably the things that most set it apart. So if a, pl- so if a player is going into, let's say, the last year of their contract, or f- going becoming a free agent the following year, does that change the statistics a little bit? Does it change the numbers a little? It changes the, the playing time. It's a bigger fact when you're talking long term. For example, Zips was aware of Albert Pujols' contract so that from its, you know, its purely internal playing time projection that it made him lose uh, playing time uh, more slowly. Uh, the projections always would insist otherwise that Albert Pujols would lose his job at about age 37 because he hasn't really been a good player in a long time. But we also know the reality is that the Angels were not going to do that. So part of the projection was essentially modeling the behavior of a major league team. Uh, And when that's feasible, I try to do that. Right. Um, Yeah, now, you know, you mentioned that, that, uh, I I know also that uh, Zip's, project out multi-years, right? Most of the projections that we look at is we're playing fantasy baseball is for the next year. I guess people who, who do dynasty leagues, they would want to actually see um, projections for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, you mentioned that, you know, you look at contracts and you do stuff. Um, you know, things change very rapidly in a player. All of a sudden he has a new swing. All of a sudden he's taking more pitches. Like how, how do you account for all this stuff when projecting in, in the future uh, for, for distant years? Well, always the, well, I guess the answer I usually give to that question is more inaccurately. Uh, when you go back to uh, talking about projecting like a, a hurricane or a winter storm, you see kind of that cone of ignorance go farther and farther apart. And that's kind of what you get with, with the career projections. Uh, Zips generates curves on the fly uh, derived from the, the large cohort of hopefully roughly similar players. Uh, so the error bars get larger and larger, but there there is a middle ground. You do have kind of essentially your ensemble model in a way, uh, and you just hope that the the tides of change don't don't flood over you because it does happen. And on a season to season basis, you can see some pretty wild swings. But projecting a player's next five years is easier in a lot of ways than projecting their next year. Uh, for instance, I. ESPN asked me for some uh, career projected stats for Barry Bonds and Clemens as of the late 90s. And uh, they wanted error, for for the information of the readers, they wanted error rates on on the projections. And the data I was showing them was essentially that 
the the one year projections for a player are less accurate than projecting five years for a player right. simply because on a fundamental level we're projecting a small sample size and you don't actually really get to know for a fact whether your projection was accurate or not uh it's kind of a, a kafka-esque idea but that's kind of what it is it's definitely easier to to uh to get the long-term numbers right because you know anything can happen it's 162 games right it's a it is a limited sample size um and a player's true talent we know that you know home run rates let's say don't stabilize till very late in the season it might even take two seasons for a home run rate to stabilize so you're right in that regard and, and, and what about rookie players? Because rookie players are so hard to be able to project, especially like let's say two players coming up, Adley Rushman and Bobby Witt. They're both projected to be in the majors this year. Those two players. Or what about foreign players coming from Japan? How do those fit in? Uh, well, I do do minor league translations of my own. Uh, I've, it's, I was actually studying minor league to major league data long before I even got into the projection game. That was kind of one of my first statistical passions. Uh, I in the in the early-ish 90s, I actually hand copied all the stats on AOL data because they actually had an extensive minor league database that you couldn't download anywhere because there was nowhere to download. Uh, I think people now don't fully realize what a bleak, empty landscape it was for for baseball data 20 years ago. Uh, you didn't have like any spreadsheet or database until uh, Sean Lehman's baseball database. Baseball reference in those days uh, only updated once a year after the season, which seems absolutely absurd in, in 2022 to talk about that. But that was the case. Baseball reference was just a site. And then there was one day in late October where it updated for the year. Uh, so there's, there's a lot more we can do now. And I, I like to think that I've learned a lot about minor league uh, projecting. Uh, but, you know, the error bars are still going to be very large. And now what about there's other variables that go, that go along with trying to predict, predict baseball players, such as where they're going to play, like like the Toronto Blue Jays, you don't know what stadium they're going to play in. Are we using a different ball? Is there, are the pitchers going to use a sticky substance? The short seasons, how, does, how do all these get um, packed into the projections? Uh, well, in a lot of cases, they don't, that it's part of just the unknowable. I don't know what next year's ball is going to be. I don't know what next year's park factors are going to be. I use recent history as a guide. But when there's a change, you don't really know. And one of the things is I like to avoid guesswork because one of the basic, uh, I guess, philosophical concepts of Zips is it has as little input as possible for me. Anytime there's a way that I think that I could systematically improve it, uh, with my opinion, I try to find the underlying data for that opinion and implement it. For instance, Zips is aware of when a picture has Tommy John surgery. Uh, I prefer just to have as little direct input into a projection as possible. Even if I thought I could make a projection better, I might mention it in an article I write, but I would never affect it would never affect the projection in that way. Uh, it, it goes back to uh, like the Orioles moving in the or moving out the the fence in left field this year i have a sense that it's going to obviously affect home run totals you're probably going to see fewer home runs and more doubles and triples in all likelihood uh but i don't really like guesswork unless i'm actually absolutely forced to like in the covid shortened season where i had to guess what the weights were going to be for 2021 uh so some things i think are lost in the aether and 
people who are using projections need to take that into account. Uh, I don't I don't claim to take all the work away from people when using and, and understanding projections. Well, so actually, specifically for this year, what do you about what do you did you project at all regarding the lockout? Do you think that's going to affect the projections at all? Uh, from a projection standpoint, no. I think that depending on the time frame and what spring training looks like, it could have an effect on the game, but it's also unknowable in, in, in some ways. Uh, and it's just going to be a source of error that is really hard to control for. I don't like guessing about a factor uh, in, instead of ignoring it or, or just admitting that it's something that this projection system or maybe any projection system is poorly equipped to deal with. Right. I guess it's important to know that, you know, take a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, who might rely on that short, who might have relied on that short fence and uh, close fence to, you know, hit some homers. If somebody is going to be using your your projection system for this coming year, they might have to take his home run total with a grain of salt if you haven't incorporated that yet, I guess. Right. Yeah, because it's easier to tell a person that I don't know what the new effect is than to tell a person there's some change in there that I believe and you're going to have to figure out what part of the projection is the projection and what part of it is what I believe. And I think that's that's also one of the reasons you don't see me uh, with the official Zips projections be hands on with with like playing time. That was my my next question, which you might have guessed. (laughs) Yeah, well, what you're referring to is um, one. I mean, I, I've been uh, talking with Dan for for a couple years now, and my major quibble with Zips is literally the playing time. That uh, and and I guess you, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but um, one thing that Zips does not do is it does not actually try to predict the playing time in the sense of this guy will only have a hundred at bats. He's coming up in the minors; he'll only have four hundred at bats. Uh, you'll actually just give what a guy of that of that caliber should have in a full season, assuming he's up, you know, assuming he gets that full role, and there you go in itself. But, of course, most other projection systems, and I know I do this quite a bit as a fantasy baseball player, I try to allocate the playing time and try to make sure that I only have a certain player projected for a certain amount because that counts towards the aggregate value and fantasy of the guy. And my question to you is, A, am I right in describing what you do, and B, I, I don't know. I, I just doesn't jive with me. I think that I think that the guess is important as to the playing time. No. Uh, well, it it depends exactly what questions you're trying to answer. Uh, one of the True. things is is True. Zips wasn't designed as a fantasy focused uh, projection system. Uh, I didn't really have fantasy in mind uh, when when developing it. I I'm not sure what I had in mind, but beyond my own personal interest, uh, I'm. I tend to find a computer uh, a better I, – I, I wanted the, the computer to do what the computer does well, which is projecting how good a player is, not how a team will lose them. And you can look at the playing time as a, uh, as a projection, but it's kind of a projection across multi-levels. Uh, for instance, the projection system is not a, a, a pitcher who's injured every year. The projection system isn't going to say he's really good, he's going to throw 200 innings. It might say 120 innings, uh, and for a minor leaguer, you might see a 400 at-bat projection, but that's probably the at-bats spread out over uh, multiple professional levels, not the major leagues necessarily. Uh, There are other ways to do this, and I tend to go towards the, the way that has the least human intervention because 
I want Zips to be something that people can run if I'm dead. Uh, and right. anything that I do would die with me And uh, when, when I shuffle off the mortal coil at some point in the next zero to 50 years. Uh, so I have gone with the approach of using past playing time. Uh, there are actually going to be adjustments for the injuries that Zips is aware of, age, uh, long-term Zips, as, as I mentioned, does have a model for reducing playing time. But things that come down to specific team-related decisions, I don't consider that part of Zips. Uh, when I project like a season, then I do do playing time because it's very important. But just for knowing how good a player is, I don't tend to think the the actual playing time matters that much. Uh, there is an argument to just for those kinds of projections, do everyone to, you know, 600 plate appearances, catchers to 450, starters to 180, relievers to 60. But that just also looks weird to me. Uh, so right. I just go with history, essentially. Right. And by the way, I, I ask this question out of respect, uh, you know, for oh, what yeah. you do. You, know, you I'm, can I'm... ask me any question out of disrespect. <laughs> I'm a big boy, and if I can't <laughs> defend my work... <laughs> then, then it's not that valuable. Um, That's true. That's true. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. You, sh you should hear me. I mean, I do. I do radio in Denver uh, from time to time, and I'm pretty hard on the Rockies. If you've noticed on Twitter, uh huh. Yeah. Uh, you you have to be prepared for yes. for for a hostile audience. Yeah, you are definitely a man who is of his convictions and tells people. I'll, I'll tell you that. That is true. To my um, to my uh, to my suffering once in a while, but that's life. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, you're not the only projection system that that doesn't uh, really account for that. I mean, Derek Cardi's the bat, which is also a great projection system. They don't do anything. I mean, he he, he will say, oh, I don't know how to do playing time. It, it's not based on a computer, just like you said. Uh, this year, uh, Derek Cardi actually made the decision to switch the playing time to actually use my projection, my, my uh, um, playing time. So if you actually go on fan graphs and you see and you say, why does the bat project for the same number of bats as ATC? Well, it's not it's not a coincidence. He's actually taking my playing time, but he does the rates. Um, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, people should know that the, I would say, the fantasy redraft relevant version of Zips is going to be on the site called yes. Zips DC, which is the Fangraph depth charts playing time, and the Zips numbers run through them. And people should also know that on the site we have the depth charts projections, and that is our own Jason Martinez doing the playing time and a combination of Steamer and Zips for the rates, if I have that correct. Yeah, that that is correct. Uh, it's it's it it's not completely up yet because I just submitted the the projections to Dave, uh, so it should be up in a few days. Uh, but definitely, the the one time I regret not having playing time projections is when there's a fantasy based evaluation of the projection <laughs> systems. Uh, like last year, I was like, oh god, I'm gonna get killed from the playing time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I write the, that year yearly article, and it's not a. It's not a, a, my article. Uh, um, I should say I should say what I'm talking about. Uh, I write a projections article where I compare projections, but not from accuracy, from effectiveness. Meaning, if you uh, what would happen if you would have used the Zips projection system? Who would you have drafted, and how did that those players fare? Did they make money on the average? Did they make more money than using ATC or Steamer or whatever? Um, and Zips always comes out lousy, but it's not because of the rates. It's yeah, it's the playing, of the playing time. time. Yeah. yeah, the playing time totally. And, and 
and people sometimes, you know, like in chats, they'll be like, did you see what Ariel did? Uh, and like, yeah, he's he's evaluating a specific thing. It's fine. He's not out to get me. Right. Chill out. And and, and my first note, by the way, I, I always have my notes and I see my first note is always the, the Zips does not evaluate playing time. That's what's going to be. But uh, this this time around when we did Zips DC, uh, you, you were right in the thick of things in terms of uh, effectiveness. So yeah, know, there you go. And, uh, which is good because if I was still in trouble, that'd be like, uh-oh. Right, right. chase right. something up. Something's been going wrong since the COVID year. Right. And I can tell you because I do the ATC projections, there is considerable amount of weight that I use on the Zips projections in some of my rates. I know there's at least two of them that are important that you have the highest weight. So uh, I do know that Zip does work. Um, so I, I, I yeah, should. But it I, is it is always funny when when uh, when you see the playing time. That's like the one time right. I regret it because you know when when people are evaluating projection systems, it's it's much more fun to look smart. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, before I go in, into our uh, corner infield discussion, is there anything new that your system has done th- this year? Have have you changed? Uh, no, it's just kind of. Additional um, modeling. I uh, I spent so much time last year trying to figure out how to deal with the shortened season uh, that I haven't really felt comfortable pushing too many new things into the the late the latest Zips model because there's always a Zips model that I'm using in the upcoming year, and there are also ones I plan in future years that I'm not fully confident in because there's only so much you can do with cross-validation there's no substitute for having new seasons of data that zips has never seen to to evaluate uh so there isn't too much new this year i've continued to refine uh my minor league defensive uh, measure i track uh game days uh, uh ball location data for uh defensive plays in the minors and i kind of have a little uzr-esque defensive system for minor league players because that's kind of a problem when you're projecting minor league players in the majors because they don't really have good minor league data to work with uh so i I, i've spent a lot of work and i'm doing i'm doing some some minor league translation uh uh work uh but that's that's probably not going to be in zips for another year or two i'm also working on a model for saves oh which also has no human input, but I'm actually trying to model how teams uh, choose who they're going to use as a closer. And I'm actually going to do a little machine learning for that, which isn't what I normally do, but some of the variables are kind of tricky to work with, with with issues like uh, uh, experience, history of being used as a closer, uh, how much they're paid when they were signed. Uh, So I'm working on trying to model that I don't want saves to be something that I have to suddenly start using my my opinion for. It, it right. all my descriptions of zips makes it sound like I really don't trust anything. I think. <laughs> do, do do this year's projections also assume that there's a DH? Uh, zips. I'm kind of I kind of took the middle ground for that in that I used uh, a, a a model for AL NL difference that was kind of a blend of the last few off season or last few seasons. So there's that 60 game DH season in there. Uh, I just don't know what baseball is going to do, so I kind of took the the I guess the wussy middle ground, so to speak, uh, right. because it's it's hard to project when some of the basis of what you're going to projecting won't be known until like March, maybe. Right. For, for the record, um, I, I, I spoke with uh, Jason Martinez and Cross and Cardi somewhere, and 
I think uh, those guys all went to full NLDH uh, just because it's the most likely outcome for what would happen. Of course, anything could happen, and, you know, you, you may find out, oh, we're not using it. Uh, but the, uh, everything else on Fangraphs is that. So I guess the the message then is to people using Zips, just know that the ERAs for NL pitchers could be a little bit on the lowish side, if that if yeah. I have that correct. Uh, one, one, of, one of the weaknesses of Zips is the uh, the creator of Zips, who is a math econ guy, not a programming guy. So it's hard <laughs> for Zips, it's hard for me to instantly change one thing and then just whip out a whole right. new uh, amount of Zips. Uh, every Zips projection takes my computer, which is a pretty up-to-date computer. It's a, it's a modern rising computer. Uh, it t- every projection takes about two minutes to run, simply because of the things it's modeling. Uh, that's why the in-season model... Uh, is a simpler one so that Fangraphs can run that every night to right. update during the season. And that is, I guess, if we're going back to things that Zips does differently, I do believe I might have been one of the first to have a formal in-season projections oh, wow. uh, attached to Zips. I believe I was. I could be wrong. Uh, that's happened a lot. Uh, but I do believe I was one of the first to push that as a as a useful thing. Wow, well, that's pretty. That's otherwise, pretty projections expire on the on the first day of the season, and right. and people aren't using them during the season. Right, right. No, and and definitely your work. If you're the uh, the originator and uh, the forefront of that, then then kudos to you because that's actually uh, very important to, um, t- for everyone to look at. Uh, I know that I look at rest of season projections in the middle of the year. Why not? Right, it's the most accurate thing you can think of. Yeah, we live in a we live in a Bayesian world, so I can I can there put that on my thing. I'm the originator, maybe, of in-season projections. <laughs> we'll give you a 75% credit, and there you go. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. All right. Well, anyways, that was a great discussion of uh, projections and zips, and, and thank you for that. Um, what we uh, tend to do here uh, in the preseason on our podcast, Beat the Shift, is uh, we evaluate some players along the way. Now, we do a lot of strategy on our show, but we do want to talk about players. We do not talk about every single player. What we do is we use the ATC projections, obviously, uh, to pick out some people that potentially could be bargains against what the current drafting market pricing indicates. And we have a couple of players in the corner infield. They're mostly first baseman, as we've said on the show, third baseman, not as fruitful in terms of bargains. You're okay paying par value up top, but there's a lot of first basemans with bargains. So what we do is we evaluate, hey, let's go deep dive and let's talk about these specific players. And if they still are a bargain and if they still are okay in our eyes after we hash out all the details, then we look as there are a possibility that we can draft on our teams. So that's what we're going to do today. And um, you'll help us with the, uh, the corner infielders today. Um, just to set the stage, also, um, if you hear me talk about a price for a player or draft round, um, obviously everyone plays in a different league. You can play in a 12-team league, 15-team league. I'm going to announce 15-team league, 5 by 5 pricing, NFBC figures, uh, just as a convention. Uh, the NFBC has very good ADP data, so it's just a good way to compare everything. So I apologize if you're a 10-team guy. You just have to shrink the numbers a little bit. Uh, uh, I like I like larger leagues because it's more fun to fight in the trenches on the lesser players than everybody's go. got stars. Uh, I, I used to do a, a lot more of that kind of fantasy work when I was with ESPN uh, because I did have access. They gave me access to their database of, of leagues. So uh, I used to do a lot of preseason type things 
where I could estimate, I could actually project values knowing the, the how the actual teams were 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 uh, coming out in in their drafts. So I was able to actually have kind of a a pretty good replacement level and a pretty good way to simulate how adding players to a team that players who are currently on the waiver wire how it affect the average team standing. So I. I I do have experience doing these kinds of things, uh, although my focus hasn't been fantasy, obviously. Right, right. No, perfect. Um, so I think this will be a great discussion. But before we get into the players, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, we're going to be talking about the corner infielders right now. And the first corner infielder we're going to tackle is Paul Goldschmidt. So my trivia will be about Paul Goldschmidt. Last year, Goldschmidt hit 31 home runs. Great. That means an RBR for each one of those home runs. But how many of them were solo home runs of the 31? Hmm. Because that can make a big difference when it comes to his fantasy value. Uh, 31. I am going to say... Daniel's first. Oh, I guess I guess I went first because I interrupted first. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Guess goes let's first. Let's see. Cardinals had a pretty okay-ish offense. 99 is a little on the low side, and he had a lot of opportunities. So I'm going to say probably less than half or less than half had players on base. Unusually, I will say that he had 17 solo home runs and 14 with runners on base. I'll go with 20 solo home runs, about a third. 22. Out okay. of 31 oh. were solo home runs, which means that he was hitting them. There was just no one on base to get those RBIs for him. I mean, every year he's consistent. He bats around 280 since 2012 until every year from 2012 until now, except for 2019 when he batted 260. His homers from 2013 until now, 36, 19 a year who's injured, 33, 24, 36, 33, 34, 31. That is consistency. He's had over 95 RBIs, five of the last six full seasons. He also can steal you five to ten bases. Last year, people were scared because he had an injury with his elbow. He said he was going to manage it. I think he managed it pretty well. And now with a possible DH coming in, Paul Goldschmidt looks like a very, very good buy this year. Do you guys remember Chris Hoyles? Backup catcher for the Orioles. Catcher for the Orioles. Wow. Yes. He had a... He had a... The way they used him is they put him kind of at the bottom of the lineup, and he hit a lot of home runs with with nobody on base. Uh, he had a season of 20 home runs with 40 RBI, uh, and that season he hit 17 solo home runs and three home runs with with runners on base. That was 1992. Wow! And it it, it wasn't that he was terrible with with runners on base. It's just that he had kind of a low percentage with with runners on base which is wow. just a weird thing wow pretty cool that you remember that stat offhand i'm very impressed yeah it was well i'm, I'm from baltimore so <laughs> everyone right. remembers the taylor chris hoyles because as a young stat nerd watching people say he stunk because of his rbis was a frustrating thing or may or maybe he stunk because he couldn't turn around ben mcdonald Whoa, whoa, Ben McDonald had injury issues. Ben McDonald was pretty darn good. <laughs> okay. I, I'm a Ben McDonald stanner here. Okay. 
Fine, fine by me. Um, but anyway, getting back to Goldschmidt, I think where he is right now, he's of excellent value, especially if people are still low on him because of his age, because he's getting up in, in age. I, I mean, he's so consistent. How do you not get someone who's this consistent? Thoughts on him, uh, Dan? I I mean, the age is a risk, uh, but it's not a massive risk quite yet. Uh, he's still... You you look at you look at the team around him. He's still going to be probably in the top ten in RBI, uh, even if he he has some decline. Uh, I know Zips has him declined to twenty five home runs and eighty three RBI. I actually think he'll do a little better than that. I think that the Cardinals' offense does have a little more upside into it than the projections might think. Uh, but I mean, as long as you're factoring in that risk and not taking him above, uh, say Freddie Freeman or something, which I I don't think people will. Maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, I want to make sure that I haven't I haven't checked what, what necessarily the the mock rankings for everyone yet. Uh, but if you look at first base, it's not really a, a a glamour position the way it used to be. Once you get out of the top ten first baseman, it's pretty just kind of bland. So there's there's a value to a guy who is almost certainly going to be a top ten first baseman. Yeah. So for fantasy, uh, one of the big draws of Goldschmidt in the past was the fact that he steals. I mean, he had one year where he had stole 32 bases, um, and uh, he he had a drought in terms of stolen bases. He went down to seven to three. He had only one in the 2020 season, and poof, 12, 12 last year. Um, so that's something to think about. And the question is, is he going to run or isn't he? Projection models have been sort of in the middle. Um, most projections have him at about seven or eight stolen bases going forward here. Uh, ATC has eight, but, I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, but, you know, even eight stolen bases, even five stolen bases at the first base position does help. One thing about Paul Goldschmidt is his interprojectional standard deviation, meaning the difference between other projections, is really super small. The standard deviation I'm getting is within a dollar and a half. Uh, means that uh, the ATC value of $24 of what you should pay in an auction for him, projections are really, really tight, and they don't go much more than a dollar or two off of that. Um, he's going in the market for about $22. He's going late fourth round, uh, but he should be rostered early fourth round, according to the value here. So uh, the only issue to me with rostering a first baseman is, as you'll see today, there's a lot of other interesting bargains later on. And if you take a guy at a $2 bargain earlier, you'll miss a $7 bargain later. But other than that, he's super stable. Um, his contact rate actually improved last year, the last couple of years. Um, his contact rate is about 80%, uh, which is phenomenal for a player. So he's got a very, very high floor. I think Paul Goldschmidt is an excellent buy for value. Um, just a question of, uh, you know, game theory and uh, what do you have to give up in terms of what you could get later. Compare him with a guy who's going somewhat similar in the early fifth round, Pete Alonzo, um, who is also a similar value, similarly in the market just a few picks later. Um, also super stable according to projections. He's a 40-home run guy, Pete Alonzo. Um, now, his batting average last year, uh, 262. I actually think it could have been better. Last year, um, he was hurt a little bit in the in the first month, month and a half. From June and on, he batted almost 270, and he slugged 540 as opposed to the first two months season where he slugged 453. Um, I think Alonzo actually, if you discount the injury, 
really back on track, and a 40-home run projection I think is a good average number to set. I think he's a nice bargain at this spot for, yes, 40 homers, pretty much the highest projected homer player in baseball, um, and uh, in a Mets lineup which has improved. Uh, thoughts on Pete Alonso, Dan? Uh, well, Zips does have him with 40 home runs for uh, 2020. All right. To, um which, which, which I guess is not that shocking a projection. Uh, I mean, he's never going to be a batting average guy, but if you look at the top 15 or so first basemen, how many of them really are major outliers like in standard deviations for batting average? It's essentially, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, Freddie Freeman, and then maybe Ty France. And that's pretty much it, I think. I mean, you look lower down the stacks, there's some guys who could have decent batting average and like less power that doesn't make them interesting so the the batting average doesn't worry me too much i think it's a very ordinary uh batting average for a top ca- uh, top first baseman at this point so if you're not worried about the batting average and you're not worried about the stolen bases because nobody's really going to steal 20 at first base i think i think the maximum i have a starting first baseman at is like eight uh or something like that i'm trying to look real quick Oh, well, I have Nick, Nick Prado with eight, uh, but he's not going to start. I, o- I only have Goldschmidt with seven. Uh, okay. Going back to Goldschmidt for a sec, I think one of the risks is uh, what does a new manager bring? Well, Oliver Marmol, uh, he was the first baseman for or first base coach for a couple years, then the bench coach. Will he use Goldschmidt as aggressively? Um, so that's one of the questions but but back to Pete Alonzo I think the Mets will score more runs than they did in 2022 and or 2021 and that will have you know the the necessary the the expected effect on on the RBIs and the runs and speaking about speaking about the manager the Mets have a new manager also Buck Showalter who's a little bit old school and maybe if they keep Pete Alonzo in the same spot in the lineup consistently or keep a consistent lineup out there that may also help him as well yeah, and, and, and maybe I also hope that he that they don't get a ball to Jimenez because that's my last memory of Buck as an Orioles manager. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't, I do not think the Mets will be getting him. Uh, any thoughts, Ruben, on, on Alonso, by the way, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a tale of two seasons from last year. In the beginning of the last year, first half of the last season, he batted 249. Second half, like you mentioned, he batted 275. But he had 17 homers in the first half with a 249 average and hit 20 home runs in the second half. So that power is for real. So he had a very, I guess you'd say, a quiet 37 home runs. He was also more unlucky in the first part of the season. So that may just be the batting average right there. So with a better lineup, a lot of the players around him last year also underperformed, extremely underperformed. So just like I mentioned with Goldschmidt, if people in the lineup can get on in front of him, his RBI total will go up. Dan, what are the odds that Alonzo wins the home run derby this year? Oh, I don't I don't even know how to model that ahead of time before even knowing who's in. Because you have to then kind of make a model for who's going to actually play in the uh, it, that's actually a fascinating thing to do in, in, in a preseason, which I might actually yeah. do at some point, especially if we don't have any uh, baseball for news for a while. Got to give me credit for asking the question, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he obviously he's someone who is a good bet to be in that. Uh, generally, the players that are younger and lower in service time are more excited about being in the home run derby and uh, – I mean, he's not particularly young, but he's still, from a service time standpoint, uh, one of the not— oh, He'll be in the derby. He's yeah. in the derby, for sure. 
Yeah, he Question likes the he likes the big stage, and it's going to be in L.A. this year, so that plays. And you know, he's going to put on a show for sure. Well, the next guy we have is a uh, Josh Bell. Josh Bell has been on this ATC undervalued list every single year for the last like four years. Um, Josh Bell, he was a fifteen dollar player last year. His best year two twenty nineteen of twenty four dollar player. Um, currently, ATC values him at seventeen dollars, and he's only going to market for twelve, almost in the tenth round, late ninth round. Um, he has a relatively small uh, standard deviation of projection results, meaning projections are, again, thinking he's the guy. Um, I see his contact rate as being excellent. He had an 18% contact uh, strikeout rate, which is phenomenal uh, last year. You think of him as a big lumbering guy, but actually he makes quite a lot of contact, and his walk rate is amazing. He's uh, a 10, 11, even 12, uh, thir- hit 14% one-year walk rate. So he gets on base. His stack cast numbers are up. He hits the ball. He barrels the ball. Um, I think 2019 is in play where he was a $24 player, and uh, I kind of think he got a little bit of bad luck last year. Um, he had a BABIP of 276, a BABIP of 273 the previous year, so he's been a little bit uh, unlucky. I think Josh Bell is somebody who can produce, and we're talking about a 5 $6 bargain in the middle of rounds. Uh, I, I prefer him in terms of value per dollar to Goldschmidt. Um, and, of course, you can get him six rounds later than Goldschmidt. Uh, your thoughts on Josh Bell, uh, Dan? Uh, Zips is actually a fan of Josh Bell coming into 2022, which is kind of go. a departure from in previous seasons. Uh, but Zips actually sees some batting average upside. You were talking about stat cast data. Right. Uh, the, the Z stats that Zips uses also, uh, they – the Z stats for 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 Bell in in 2021. Uh, I just opened it up, and Zips thought he should have been based on his hit profile a 279 hitter. So wow. Zips is projecting him to hit 273 this year, uh, which I believe is higher than the other projection systems have pegged. It him is. At. It is. Uh, so I think the question for Bell is uh, by that point in the, in the in the draft, you're starting to see what your team is looking like, uh, and I think he's one of those situational value players where he has a lot more value if your team is looking like it's if you've taken some low batting average players at that point uh then i think bell has quite a bit of value uh i don't think he's someone that you can draft blindly not based on the construction of your team but i think that for the right team i mean i think he's a big value uh zips essentially has him as the number 11 or so uh first baseman but if you need that batting average that's that's that could be you know the seventh or eighth best which is pretty significant and in addition, he has a pretty good player batting in front of him, so he's going to have a lot of opportunities to knock said player in, uh, in Juan Soto I'm referring to. So uh, I think the run production part of his game is still going to be high, and in fantasy, RBIs and runs account for 40% of your offensive totals, so which is important. Move in. But he's got Juan Soto in front of him who's behind him. That's the problem. He has nobody behind him. It's going to be a really bad lineup, I think. Um, so he may not get that many runs if he doesn't hit it out of the park, which is, you know, he's not in. you're not getting him for his runs. But a lot, 87% of the balls in play from last year were either hit medium or hard. That's very, very good. And he's in a walk year. He's in a contract year. He is playing for a contract. And like I said, that lineup is not that good, which means there's nobody behind him. So he's going to get all the playing time. It's, there's going to be no, there's going to be no platoon here. So you know what? Draft him. You'll, you'll get, you get 550. If he stays healthy, 550 at bats, you, you can, you can almost count on it. By the way, Dan, since you might've even looked at this, 
players in a walk year, have you noticed that they perform better, worse, or the same as anybody else? I haven't found that walk year is a significant predictor in any way whatsoever. Okay, that's just, straight answer which is, there. Which is, uh, which is okay. good uh, in, in a way because it's just one less strange variable you have to account for. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the actuary in me knows that that's true, although for some reason we all feel that it's Yeah, not. because that's it's psychological because you remember the guys who had the big years uh, right. because they're going to get big contracts that have a lot of, lot of uh, notice behind them. The guys who have poor years are going to have contracts that are paid less attention to because they might get less money otherwise. That's right. That's right. So it's the psych- psychological effect yeah. of why you think it's true, although it really isn't. It's the Perfect. same with, uh, the, with the sophomore slump. Uh, the, the, the problem you have is that players who are great as rookies are more likely to have outperformed their expectations than underperformed their expectations because the guys who underperform their expectations probably are still in the minors. Uh, so there's that belief that there's a sophomore slump, but once you actually look at it, there really isn't a sophomore slump. You're, what you're looking at is just the regression towards the mean of guys who are overperforming. Yeah, but the only thing about that, though, is, is uh, and maybe it's not sophomore, maybe it's midseason, but at some point the league does adjust to the player. Yeah, they don't really have a book, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, that's something that every player has to learn is because baseball is a game of constant adjustment. Uh, everyone is, is seeing what you're doing and trying to fix what they do against you, so you're going to have to fix what you do against them. Right. We got our first third baseman uh, in our uh, discussion tonight, Ryan McMahon of the Rockies. You hate on the Rockies, but we got a player that Fantasy ATC likes. $12 player going for eight. Um, the last couple of years, he's hit 24 homers, pace of 24 in 2020, 23 homers. I kind of think he's around the 24-homer guy, and that's what almost every single projection system says. The batting average is not great. Uh, ATC projects him for 254. Um, he's had some high strikeout rates in the past, so uh, won't count on that. But run production is decent in Colorado. He should bat high up in the order. Um, you have that conundrum of whether Trevor Story is there or not. A, it would mean that he would have more, if he's there, he would have more people to knock in. But, of course, he bats higher in the lineup if Story is is not there. Uh, so, you know, you got, you got that dual action going on there. Um, but, you know, Ryan McMahon has a lot of value if you count all those counting stats. Um, and he even contributes a couple of stolen bases. His projectional volatility is very small. Because he steals, he's pretty safe categorically so that you don't have to find a very different kind of player on the waiver wire should he get hurt. The third base eligibility, he also has second base eligibility, so he'll help your team in case some guy gets injured or you can just plug him in in a second base slot, middle infield slot, third base slot, corner slot, so he can go anywhere. Um, I, I'm not in love with the guy, but the value says that in the 12th round, he might be a little bit of a marginal value. And again, third base is not deep, so you might want to consider him. Ruvain, why don't you go first here? Well, he plays in Colorado, so what is there not to like? Um, but seriously, though, he has dropped his K rate last year, and what he hit 24 home runs last year, but his home run to fly ball rate dropped to 16%. So there may be some hidden power there, and if he's at Coors, he's gonna he's gonna hit more home runs possibly than other places. Um, and there's no one behind him really. That the farm system there is pretty barren. It's not that good right now. So he's gonna get his playing time, and because like you said, third base is so shallow. Getting him here, he has a possible upside. He can hit 30 home runs. If his gets his home run to fly ball right back to where his career was, he can do that. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
Dan? Hey, I, I like having a guy with third base, second base eligibility in the rounds that he is going to be drafted at. Uh, because that's that's kind of the round where you're kind of looking for upside value. Sometimes someone stole someone from you right before. And it, it's nice to have that kind of safety because the magic, of course, is that he doesn't have to have a great system to look good. Uh, I mean, he had pretty solid counting numbers last year. And it wasn't like he had an amazing year from a from an overall standpoint. Uh, he had, you know, an OPS plus right around 100. It wasn't like... He had some crazy year he can't maintain. He can maintain uh, 100. Uh, I had him on my breakout piece uh, entering the season uh, because it's always hard to tell with a guy like that how, let's just say the team's poor development of him affected his uh, his, tr- his career trajectory. And it's something we not, might not necessarily know, but it's something to have in the back of your head. So the other thing I want to point out also is that the NL West um, – has marginally gotten better for hitters in the sense that there are some ace pitchers that have left. You got Scherzer, who's now in the NL East. You have Gaussman, who's now out of here. Um, Kershaw, maybe he'll sign back with the Dodgers for now in limbo. Maybe Kenley Jansen's out of here. There's some less pitching. I think that, uh, I mean, not that it matters all that much, but maybe if there's a tie break, hey, the NL West is better for hitters than he does play in Colorado. Uh, so that could be a deciding factor. Um, the next ba- batch of players, we're going to do all in one shot. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, Nate Lowe, Frank Schwindel, and Miguel Sano. And the reason I'm saying these four players in a row uh, are because of what we refer to on the show as a fantasy hotspot. That's where you have a couple of similar uh, valued by the market, where the market is going for the same price, Similar valued players who play either the same position or who have the same similar type of statistical makeup. Here, these are all four first basemen. They're all going roughly in the same round. They're all a bargain. Everyone's a bargain, meaning if you buy Dahlbeck, if you buy Schwindel, according to the ATC projections, you're going to make a couple of bucks. So the reason why identifying these uh, hotspots work is because let's say somebody loves Frank Schwindel. They might be able they might want to go to early, rounds too earlier to pick him, four extra dollars on him. You can't do anything about that. But because there are four of them, and if the average draft price is what we say it is, you're gonna have people going at that price or even lower even. You can have an even a bigger bargain. So identifying the four people let you basically realize the bargain as opposed to if it's one player, hey, it could be that somebody else wanted him in your league. Um, so of the four, maybe um, you don't have to talk about all of them, but is there anybody you want to highlight, uh, Dan, between Dahlbeck, Lowe, Schwindel, and Miguel Sano? Uh, well, from a good standpoint, I do like Nate Lowe quite a bit. Uh, he also probably has the most stable job of any of them, except with the possible exception of Sano. Uh, I, I don't think there's a scenario where he loses his job in June. Uh, I do think he has more batting average upside than the rest of that group. Uh, Zip, Zips likes him just fine. I mean, nothing exciting or super amazing. Uh, but he's also, you know, he's not particularly old. He's in his mid-20s still, uh, so there's there's more upside left than, than Sano or Schwindel. I, 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 I like Lowe there, and I do like Sano to a degree just because he always has that power potential. But what worries me about Sano is that, uh, well, the, inju- the injury history and that I sus- always suspect that there's someone in any league that's going to like his power potential more than I will. I wouldn't want to chase that. 
he's someone who I would get if he's really cheap, but he's not someone I would I would chase with any kind of 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 uh, vigor. Uh, now Frank Schwindel is someone I am worried about. He had a great part season in in uh, in 2021. Uh, I gave him a third place vote in the Rookie of the Year race, so I I'm I'm definitely on record of not being a Schwindel hater. Uh, I believe me and Grant Brisby were the only two to give him any third place votes, but I'm not positive about that. But you look at his history, and his history is not great. Uh, I'm not even talking about his lack of major league performance. His minor league performance is pretty just very, very middling and sometimes worse. Uh, And he's not a young player. He's going to be 30, uh, which he's not a breakout candidate in that way. So Schwindel is, of the four, the one I'd most run away from. Okay, moving. Wow. Okay. I'm. I guess I'm going to disagree just a little bit there. Then, um, Frank Schwindel, I think, is the guy who has possibly the most upside, even though he is turning 30. Last year, in only 64 games, 14 homers, 43 RBIs, with a 3.26 batting average, and that was was without majority, without Rizzo or or Javier Baez in that lineup, which actually shows something. And in the minors, he has shown that he's had power in the past. From 2016 to 2019, in Double A and Triple A for Detroit and Kansas City, he averaged anywhere between 16 and 20. 24 home runs per year. Last year, if you include his minors, he hit 31 home runs with an average over 310 and a K rate of only 16%. He was a little bit lucky. He had a career high in his, in his bat. He had a 348, but still, this could be a very cheap source for power. The guy I'm nervous about a little bit is Bobby Dahlbeck because he was sent down for a point uh, uh, either last year or the year before. Um, he only had 453 plate appearances and did have 25 home runs, but that batting average kills him. And the Red Sox have a top prospect, Tristan Cassis, who actually me and Ariel saw in the Arizona Fall League as the up-and-coming prospect at first base who has a lot of power. So he has pressure on him. So if Dahlbeck doesn't produce, he may lose his job pretty quick. Yeah, they, they, there's not a lot of investment the Red Sox have in in Dalbeck. If he struggles, and he could, I mean, he did hit his, his power came around, but he was also, you know, very one note. You're talking about a sub 300 on base percentage guy. They they will move on from him very easily, and that's and when counting stats are so important, you you really want to watch out for those guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, uh, each of these guys that we mentioned are going in the 16th round of drafts. Uh, Sano actually going slightly later. All these guys are going to have warts. They're not first-round players. They're not seventh-round players. They're not even 12th-round players. Um, you know, Schwindel, what I like about Schwindel is he does have a great contact rate. Uh, up and down the minors, you know, we're talking about, you know, upper 80s contact rate. He had, he had a, uh, only just a 16% strikeout last year, uh, rate last year, about at 326. Um, that was a little bit lucky, of course, but I do think he has a good floor for batting average because of that. Um, but you know, hey, he is older. He have we haven't seen this kind of amazing production in the past. It took him forever to get here from the minors, so you never know. But they have been batting him first, um, so they do believe in his bat. So that is a win for him. Um, Miguel Sano, to me, Miguel Sano is the most stable person of the lot here. Problem is for fantasy, he might actually bat less than 200. And I don't know if your roster can take a guy who bats under 200 at the first base position. Um, you probably don't. He's very comparable to go Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo's better, though. Um, so I would advise against Sano unless you somehow have built up 
a nice bank of batting average, and he drops even later than round 18. Um, uh, Dahlbeck, I think you guys expressed it well, and I do agree with Nate Lowe as the best of the bunch here. Um, Nate Lowe has a very, very small interprojectional standard deviation and the lowest one. I should say the lowest one of the lowest of starting players intraprojectional standard deviation because he does steal a bunch. He had eight stolen bases last year. Doesn't hit for tremendous power. That's because he hits a lot of ground balls, but he's good for close to twenty, maybe high teens um he should bat right in the middle of the thick of things and as dan said he's guaranteed a job really he's on a texas team who just got in Semyon, um and uh just got in uh what's his name slipped my mind Seeger. Seeger, yes thank you what I, I a nice middle Co- infield that is uh, pretty good i think of correa in my head i'm like wait a minute he didn't sign yet uh no Seeger. so you know he's got some bats to protect him and to knock in so i think his run production will only go up from here, so I think Nate Lowe of the bunch. But again, it's really about the price. If people are pushing up Nate Lowe two more rounds and they're dropping Schwindel around, I think that Schwindel would be the right place. And that's why you have this hot spot because it's a value proposition. You'll get somebody at this price, their bargains, you grab any one of them. Any any final thoughts on those four? Yeah, I'm actually a little bit concerned about Nate Lowe because he can lose playing time. The Rangers' top prospect is Josh Young. Josh Young. And he is a third baseman, and he has nowhere else to play besides third base. So if Nate Lowe doesn't produce like he has the last couple of years, he also can lose his job because it looks like Texas is in a win-now scenario. And if just just like Bobby Dahlbeck, if he doesn't produce, he can be replaced pretty quickly. Yeah, I get that's true about anybody also. Um, they do also have Kiner Falefa, who I'm guessing is going to be the third baseman, right? I, I, I expect them to use him fairly uh Flex- flexibly, I, I think he'll he'll play third base until Young takes over, and then he'll probably be super subby around it. Uh, one reason right, I'm right. I'm comfortable about Low is even if he loses the first base job, you look at Rangers DH. I mean Willie Calhoun, I have zero faith in uh, at this point. I like Andy uh, Ibanez as a spare part, but I don't think the Rangers are as likely to be in contention as as they think right now. And when push comes to shove, who are you going to give the at-bats to, Lowe or Abanez at DH, especially because Abanez is useful at other positions. So I am f- more confident, I think, about his his playing time. But who knows? Maybe he'll lose his playing time by May. I've seen weirder things happen. Right. Well, one of the biggest bargains we have, once again, and every year he shows up uh, in this category, Eric Hosmer. Um Eric Hosmer is a guy who gets a lot of playing time in general, or he has in the past. He's had typically over 600 at-bats. Don't know if he's going to have that this year. He is getting uh, to that point maybe in his career. But, you know, his his batting average has been solid all throughout his career. Does anybody want to guess what his uh, what his uh, career batting average is, Eric Hosmer? Um, I, actually looked, I actually looked it up so I know it, so I'll let Dan guess. Yeah, I actually opened it when you mentioned Hosmer, so I saw it too. <laughs> two seventy-seven, two seventy-seven. That's pretty. That's pretty darn good. But he's also only hit that once in the last four years. It's it's very that's true. it's very that's Kansas true. City based. Uh, his his Willie Mays Hayes offensive profile hasn't played as well in San Diego. Yeah, that's true. His contact rate is pretty good though, still. So um, I I see him as a more variable type player in batting average, but the upside for hitting three hundred to me is still there. Um, 
He had a little bit of a launch angle revolution back in 2020. It didn't really sustain this year. So how many homers is he going to have? I think you can count on a dozen, maybe 18 or so, not more than that. The big value in the past has been his run production. He consistently had 80, 70s, 80s, 90s R runs and RBIs. Will that continue? Will they platoon him? Not sure. So I, I'm not sure I believe the ATC projection here for him. He's probably a slight bargain. He's probably a $2 bargain, but I don't need a $2 bargain in the 23rd round. I want somebody more with upside. So I'm probably not going to be on Hosmer this year, although he is projected for a bargain. So, uh, you know, he's going to be somebody that you'll see what his usage is early on. You'll see if he gels and uh, could be a good year, but I'll bet on the under on projections. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not very optimistic. Uh, you, you could see that the team is finally beginning to sour on him as the season went on. Because he started the year hit, hit mostly hitting cleanup, and as the year it went on, he was back, you know, fifth and then sixth, uh, and by the end of the year, there was a lot of Cronenworth in there. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure from what I've heard that the Padres have been trying to give him away as best they, the Padres. I think I said Pirates, but they they were unsuccessful giving him away. Uh, uh, at least up until lockout time, they might succeed when the off season resumes. But I think that his contract is is close enough getting towards the end that they're less worried about benching him where they kind of had that feeling like, are we going to bench a guy in year two of a possibly eight-year contract? I, I, I think he, his, his playing time is very risky. Question to you, though, Dan, is um, did Dave Cameron have anything to do with his signing? Well, <laughs> if if Dave had influence on the signing, it probably would have been in the no direction. Uh, Dave was hired after the signing, uh, which 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 is funny because it's weird to take a new job when you've publicly been bashing your new employer like right at that time. But that that that's how the game is played. Uh, front offices tend to be less sensitive about that kind of thing. Anything bad to say about the Mets, Ruve? No, no, no. I actually have a bold prediction with Eric Hosmer. Oh. I think he gets traded to the Yankees midseason. The reason why, it's a perfect fit. The Yankees need a defensive first baseman to play to, toward the end of the game if they're going to keep Luke Voigt and not sign Anthony Rizzo. Hosmer is due $20 million this year. The next three years, it's only $13 million per year. That's cheap. If they combine both Hosmer and Voigt at first base, That they don't need to sign um, Anthony Rizzo, and they can re-sign um, um, Aaron Judge. So uh, my hot take is that I think he's going to get traded to the Yankees. It's been rumored for a long time that he'd come to the Yankees. And that left field porch for a left-handed left left hitter like him, that will play well. Then his projection will go up, right? Uh, it, it, it it should, but again, this is all speculation. Um, he did, uh, Dan. You mentioned that, that that the Padres soured on him last year, so it's sort of trending in that in that way. And he doesn't have a complete no trade clause, so it's very possible he can get traded. I think he ends up back in the Royals. I think my my hot projection is that or prediction is that the Padres offer the Royals a prospect or two to take Hosmer and Myers from them. Uh, you can kind of see the Royals seeing the short-term benefit of adding both of them. Uh, Hosmer, I, I don't have any optimism on. Uh, unless a team has a six-inch outfield wall, I don't think any environment's going to make him a power hitter until he kind of goes back to hitting fly balls instead of everything into the ground hard. Um, 
but I, I, my, my pick would be that they end up in the Royals, the Hosmer Myers reunion in in Kansas City. Uh, we got two people who are predicting a trade. So there you go. You heard it here first on a quote shift. trade. It's more quote, of a a giveaway. A quote trade giveaway, but that's what we're projecting on the Beat the Shift podcast here, presented by Fangraphs. Uh, we'll do one more player here, uh, Jose Miranda. And, you know, ATC, most projection systems don't really put rookies as really, really good. I, I, you know, we talked about Marcel the monkey system. I mean, they always project league average play from rookies. Um, most projection most projection systems are punitive, and ATC actually is especially punitive on rookies. It averages other projections, and you get that effect of it just crippling some of the value. So if I see a rookie uh, uh, that is projected decently, I say, hmm, we got to take a look. That's Jose Miranda, who's projected to be a bench player in uh, in 15-team leagues. He's going very, very late. We're talking at the last pick of your, of your draft here. Um, I'm projecting a 272 batting average, 13 homers in 363 at-bats. It's quite a lot of playing time. His uh, contact rate is enormous, so I think he could hit the ground running with the hitting there. Question is, where would he play? Donaldson is the third baseman. Is he going to move to DH? Maybe. Uh, would he come up as the DH? I don't know. Who is the DH for, for the uh, Twins? Is it going to be Kirilov? It, who else is it going to be? Is it Sano and somebody else will play first? I don't know. Uh, I think there's a shot. I think that if you have a deep bench um, and you can afford uh, – uh, to see whether he comes up or not, or maybe he'll come up uh, right from the start. I don't know. Um, he's an interesting, intriguing player. I like his rates going forward here, and I, I think that he could hit the ground running if he's up. Any thoughts on, on him, uh, Dan? Uh, well, well, Zips is optimistic on it. Uh, obviously, oh, Zips is projecting a, a fuller slate of at-bats, uh, but Zips actually has him like right around Justin Turner in in all the, the, the categories. Wow. Has him with a better batting average. One less home run, seven more runs, uh, uh, one more RBI, uh, about the same, just a couple of stolen bases. Uh, the question, of course, is where does he get the job? And I think it is very possible that uh, Kirilov plays left. Uh, I'm not really excited about uh, Larnack out there. I don't think Larnack or Rooker is, is the solution in left. I think it'd be too limiting. I mean, there's always health, but it'd be kind of limiting to, to just – take Kirilov, who's one of their more interesting young outfielders, and just sticking him at DH. I think they're going to want to uh, protect Jot Donaldson's health. And when that happens, who's the likely beneficiary? And I think that's Miranda. Uh, I think there's even a chance that, that Donaldson even gets traded during the season because I don't think the Twins pitching is going to really make them competitive. It's They're in a much worse position than they were entering last season. Uh, so I I would definitely take a speculative uh, swing at Miranda, especially because in the in the majors he's probably going to play some second as well, which also adds into the value. Yeah, Ruby. Yeah, and with the Twins being just the the picture of health with Byron Buxton in the outfield there, <laughs> um, with Josh Donaldson who never gets hurt, 
um, with um, Kirilov, who's actually coming off of an injury. Miguel Sano always has these freak injuries. Max Kepler is not necessarily the this, this standard of, of consistency out there. Jose Miranda will find playing time one way or another. You, you, can, you can almost count on it. And in the minors last year, he actually played first, second, and third. So he was actually their twins are you know, getting him ready to be one of those guys who can move all over the place because he is considered a subpar fielder, which means that they don't care really where he goes. They just want to get his bat in the lineup. They're trying to find the right, right spot for him. Plus, last year in the minors, in AA and AAA, he hit 30 home runs. He batted 344, a strikeout rate, which is, this is this is a little bit crazy, a strikeout rate of 12.5 and a walk rate of 7.1. There's no way that he can do that in the majors. It's almost impossible. That's, 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 that's crazy. But they will find a place for him because he has a bat. They just need to find where he's going to play and not hurt them in the field. I mean, the only guy who does better than that is, like, Nick Madrigal, who had something like a crazy 94% contact rate or some ridiculous number like that. But uh, that that's very atypical. Although the Twins do have another great batting average guy in uh, Luis Arias. I mean, he's a really pure hitter, you know. But if he, but then if you have Jose, if you have Jose Miranda move into second base, you have the pure hitter with the power, which may, uh, you know, unseat Jose Arias, uh, Luis Arias. I believe that Zips had him as the uh, projected batting average leader, uh, Arias, in both yeah. 20 and 21. Although it has Soto edging him out in 2022. Arias is so much fun. Uh, I mean, from a, from a fantasy standpoint, uh, he's, he's possibly not quite as exciting. Uh, but from just a straight-up baseball standpoint, he's such kind of an old-school type of player. Uh, you know, the high batting average, uh, second baseman with no power, uh, that hits left-handed, that he's a lot of fun. Top five ATC projected batting averages. Soto, Guerrero, Trey Turner, Luis Arias, Nick Madrigal. My top five. Anybody want to guess the sixth? Brantley? Nope. He's 12th. Uh, Tatis? Nope, sorry. Tatis, no. Oh, gosh, yes. Wait, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name. Um, Give me one second. I'm going to look him up real quick. Is it Yuli Gurriel? No. Think of the letter F squared. Freeman. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman. All right. Anyways, got a couple of mailbag questions. Uh, Jason asks, how are projections weighting pitching data before sticky stuff ban and from after? Uh, is September when spin rates seem to climb back up for some guys a more valuable data set than April or even July right after the ban went into effect? I think your answer is it's probably not in zips going to take into account or maybe you can answer otherwise oh the your, your answer was correct i i looked at the spin rate issue i looked at different types of players i tried to uh use any kind of uh exploratory data analysis to try to get the kinds of pictures who were benefiting and not benefiting and the data was a mess because of course you're going to be plagued by small samples as as often as you can do but the players who had declined spin rate weren't necessarily who you thought. The results weren't who you thought. I think it's a complete unknown, especially because we don't know what the ball's going to be like. We don't quite know how strict in- enforcement is. We don't know about stuff about the pre-tacked balls and stuff. It's it's a complete unknown, and I, I don't like those stabs in the dark, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, for those who think that Garrett Cole, ah, sticky stuff guy, uh, if you want to... Bid lower on him, that's fine. I'll scoop him up in our league. Uh, I think Cole is the number one pitcher. Uh, Breathing Orange Fire asks, what effect does the canceled 2022 minor league season have on projections for young players and prospects? 
How much does it increase the margin of error on these projections? It certainly does increase it for sure. And for me, it's also not just about the uncertainty, but it's also about the fact that these guys had less development. What do you What do you think, Dan? I, I think from a fundamental level that projections for minor leaguers, uh, we, we did have you know a full season in 2021 pretty much, uh, but it's something you can't really account for. Because people will say, so Dan, how are you compensating for uh, – for the lack of a 2020 season for minor league players and my answer is terribly because you can't compensate for everything sometimes you're just going to have to accept that your data is worse your projections are going to be worse and i think it's been tough on teams because there are a lot of upper minors guys that that teams want to look at i think the orioles and all their kind of fringy quadruple a pictures that they have that that really hurt them because it was just one less season of development we have less information and I think it's still going to take another year or two to kind of iron out and kind of everyone graduate from that season kind of aging off the, the horizon uh, before you kind of are as confident as you normally would be. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, last question we'll do. Alexander asks, what made Dan decide to go the Boogie Nights font for Soto in the Washington National Graphic, he's referring to the fact that you blew up him to a thousand-point font. After seeing ATC's projection, does he think that 7.8 war was too conservative? ATC, by the way, projects 7.4 war for Soto. So what, what made you uh, blow up him? Was that just fun? It, it, it was fun because uh, the Nats projections were, except for the top, were a little, were a little depressing. And, you know, <laughs> he's the projection that you want to see. So I like to play with the fonts and stuff and graphics. So you look at that outfield, like you don't have to look at that. Just pretend it's Juan Soto's uh, show. That's what you want to see. Go. You want to see Soto because he was the only outfielder that in in the depth chart projections that Zibs had them above two wins. Uh, you had their each of the kind of messes in in center field and left it at like one point two, one point three. Zips didn't like shortstop or second base or third base. So Soto 7.8. He got the Ted Williams top comp. I don't think I've had that before. I talked with uh, Jason Stark about that for a piece last year. But, yeah, it's not necessarily peak Ted Williams. It's early Ted Williams, who was still a, a, a fantastic player. But you can look at young Ted Williams and Juan Soto. And Juan Soto, you don't laugh about it. If you can be compared to Ted Williams and, and, and people don't think you're insane, that that's a damn good player. And nothing he does at this point would surprise me because you look at Vado's plate discipline. Juan Soto's is better than Vado's, uh, which is just frightening. Yeah. We, we had on Trevor May of the Mets on our show here, and we asked him point blank, who, who do you— who are you scared to face? It was a Soto. Yeah, what do you Soto. what do no you holes. do with the guy? It's ha- no holes. I mean, he should call whether something's a ball or a strike. Uh, Trevor May is probably the only major league player I've talked with about video games, but never baseball. No, <laughs> that's <Wow>. interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, good guy. Good guy. Uh, we had a nice show with him. You also mentioned Rafael Devers as the second guy, uh, and ATC likes Rafael Devers again this year. Um, so uh, you never know. These pitchers do know who who's good to face. I'll tell you that. Do you think that Soto's the best player in baseball now, eclipsing Mike Trout? I don't think he's the best player in baseball overall, simply because he's not a shortstop. Uh, but I think as a pure hitter, 
he's the best in baseball. Okay. Okay. One other question I had personally about Zips um, is uh, position-wise. How does Zips take into account position? Are you uh, projecting a player by a position? Are you, I know you're not exactly allocating uh, playing time by position to teams, or maybe you are. Uh, how, how do you deal with the positions in, in your model? Well, when it's time to do the season projections, I do have a model, and I do have to decide who plays where, and I do have a probability model so that right. in some season simulations, guys play a full season. Sometimes they miss the season from an injury, especially pitchers. Uh, for the projections themselves, I use the uh, the, the most recent played pro- most. I just just it weighted recent playing time uh, from a position standpoint. Zips just goes with that one. And if I know for a fact that the player is absolutely going to play a different position, I will project them as a certain position simply because it's it's an equivalent. I can change that in Zips in like a minute if it's wrong. Uh, it's one right. of the few places that there's any kind of Zimborski, I wouldn't say uh, thumb on the scale, but at least I'm paying attention to what I put in the scale in that case. Uh, it's it's right. not as important as some people might think, uh, but it is useful. All right, it's time for the Injury Guru's injury update. Ruvain, what do you got from Instagram this week? Okay, so again, due to the lockout, I'm still relegated to scouring Twitter and Instagram for videos or updates from the players themselves as teams are not giving any injury updates whatsoever. The players are also rehabbing on their own, which you have to remember, without being overseen by the team doctors or staff due to the lockout. So take that into consideration when players are coming back as well. Another video surfaced for for Acuna. And he had the ACL repair. Everyone knows that already for his right knee. He was shown doing agility drills, which is great, but I still want to see him running. He looks good, and right now I believe his ADP is around 13. As soon as we see him on the field, and if there is if there is any sort of a lockout, his value is going to jump even higher than that. Alex Bregman, who had right wrist surgery in November, showed a video of himself hitting with no pain whatsoever, including a bat flip at the end that I'm not sure why, but you're just showing that he's healthy, so that's a positive thing. So when you have any question about that, there should be no more questions. Carlos Carrasco showed a video of himself throwing. He was pitching. He was light tossing. Not, not, nothing major, but he seemed be throwing very easy and pain-free. Last October, he had surgery to remove a bone fragment from his right elbow, but it looks like he's progressing pretty well. And another one that actually just came over today, um, Kenta Maeda, who had Tommy John surgery September 1st of last year, told the Tokyo Press that he's targeting a September 2022 return. This is his quote. Even if I can return, it will be around September. It's not a 0% chance. However, fantasy-wise, he has very little value because even if he does come back in September, it's only going to be as a relief pitcher. All right. Well, this was a really fun and informative show. Um, As you guys can see, Dan really knows his stuff here. Uh, Dan Zimborski, he's on Twitter at DZimborski. That's Zimborski with an S-Z-Y to start uh, uh, on Twitter. And, of course, he writes and does the Zips projections over at Fangraphs. Am I missing anything that you want to plug, uh, Dan? No, that's pretty much what I do. Uh, I am terrible, so you might not want to follow me on Twitter. Uh, but Google will figure it out if you if you need to figure out all those letters. Uh, there are a lot of them, and they don't always come in a logical order. There you go. Well, we'll definitely tag your uh, information to our podcast, so just go over to the Rotographs post here and, and link on right there. Of course, you just go to the front page of, of Fangraphs, and you'll, you'll see Dan all over there right away. Uh, Ruben, why don't you plug your stuff? 
You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. And they're not really coming that much right now, but hopefully the lockout will be over and that'll end and we'll get all the updates in a whole flood and we'll I'll get them out to you as much as I can. Also, I have a week I have a weekly in-season article with Rotoballer that discusses everything I mentioned on Twitter as well as other players as well. All right, and I'm Ariel Cohen, and you can find my work over at Fangraphs in the Rotograph section at CBS Sportsline and at Rotoballer. The ATC projections are up in all three sites right now. You can take a look. Uh, Dan Zip's projections might actually hit uh, in full. You can Right now you can download his articles one by one and take a look at the uh, projections, but it'll all be in the same format as ATC uh, probably when this podcast hits or a day after so be sure to look at that, and I think that will complete all of the Fangraphs projections once that hits. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, the shortest Twitter handle in all of fantasy baseball, and you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift, pa- the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs each and every week. All right, we're going to have some middle infield talk next week. Um, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show. Talk about projections and corner infielders. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.